All right, good morning, everyone. Woo, beautiful day. I was saying to the crew today, I go, well, it's such a beautiful day, nobody's going to show up for church, and there's waves, so that's like double duty, but hey, we're going to be in the book of Philippians, if you want to flip to Philippians, chapter 1, chapter 1, and while you're turning there, I want to let you know that we've got that conference coming up, that mini conference coming up in just a couple of weeks, and uh, we've got flyers for that, it's uh, Amir Serfate and Michael A. They're from Behold Israel. It's going to be an end-time prophecy. It's going to be awesome. And guys, I want to encourage you guys to be here. It's going to be a Saturday uh, from 10 o'clock till whenever we finish, but we have two speakers, and then there's going to be a Q&A. So we've got some paper up here. If you have any end-time questions, write them out, put them in the box. We'll get your questions answered. It's going to be a lot of fun. Guys, this is, you got to, listen, this is a rare opportunity. These guys just don't come to Kauai. You don't go to Kauai because there's not enough people. You got to understand, you remember when Franklin Graham and Will Graham came out here? There was no reason for them to do, uh, you know, one of their crusades here because they usually go after big targeted, large cities, thousands of people. That was a God thing. This is a God thing too. These guys, and they're coming on their own dime. So that's a full God thing. So I encourage you guys, September 5th, Saturday at 10 a.m., come, we're going to have two speakers and a Q&A. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be awesome, and you will be blessed. Amen. What, what did I say? I, I said what? You passed. You know, we do that on purpose, so it sticks in your head. Nice save, Pastor Steve. Okay. Let's read. <laughs> We're going to be looking at uh, the first six verses of today in chapter 1 of Philippians. We, we also recognize that there's this beautiful prayer that Paul prays in verse 3 through 11. And so we'll read that, but we're only going to do one through six today. But let's begin by the reading of the word. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he that begun the good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my chains and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all, with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just this little powerful packed letter of the Philippians. 
And Lord, how you just encourage us through this letter, how you remind us of who you are, how you can just build our confidence in you through just this reading of the word, Lord. And so we ask that you administer our hearts and build our faith, strengthen our confidence in you. Let us not look from side to side, but keep our eyes up, looking at you, the author and the finisher of our faith, Lord God, not consumed with the things of the world, but consumed with the things of God that we would finish and finish well. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. I entitled the message, Be Confident. Are you confident in your faith? Do you know that you're saved? Do you believe it? Do you know you're going to heaven? Are you confident? Do you know God keeps His promises? Good. Because we don't got much promise to us down here. And I don't put much confidence in man. I put confidence in God. And so we're to be confident. We're to be confident of our salvation. You know, there's a lot of Christians that doubt their salvation. And you know what? Let's just be honest. We've all at times kind of said, am I saved? You ever doubted your faith? Because I, I wake up some mornings, I don't feel so saved. And sometimes with the things I do or say or think, I go, am I saved? Does God still love me? You ever said that? Does God still love me? Do you think heaven's real? Am I on the right track? These are questions that all Christians ask themselves. And God says, I want you to be confident that He that begun the good work will complete it. He started the work. You know why these passages are so important to us is because we need to understand that we are saved by grace and not by works. The legalists want to put you in bondage and say you got to jump through this hoop, this hoop, this hoop. It's important that you worship on Saturday or it's important that it's got to be Sunday or you got to keep the Sabbath or you got to keep these guidelines or you got to do these rules of our church. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is a free gift. God gave it to us. We received it. We didn't earn it. You cannot earn your salvation. And so you ever have one of those witnessing things with somebody? You're witnessing to an unbeliever and you're going, yeah, bro, it's, it's awesome. I know where I'm going. And they go, how do you know that you're going to heaven? Do you ever get that? And what you come back with this totally intellectual response. I just know that I know. <laughs> and then they say, well, how do you know that you know? And you go, well, I just know that I know that I know. And they can't grab onto it. Here's what you say. You say, listen, the reason you can't grab onto it is because look around. You see everything in the creation here? There's a creator. And the creator of all this stuff is dwelling in me. When I gave my life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came into me. I have God in me. I am sealed into the Holy Family. So I see things that you don't see. See, the Bible tells me Satan's blinded your eyes to the truth. So you can't receive what I'm saying. You don't get it. But if you would open your eyes and your heart and your mind and receive Jesus, then you would know that you know that you know right being confident are you confident in your faith what's beautiful about this small little book philippians and i told you last last time that you could read it in like 10 12 minutes that's how short it is but it's packed and many of the verses that we quote all the time are in here and the theme of this book is joy 
joy through suffering, joy through circumstances. We've got to get it in our heads. Because we're born again, God said we weren't going to escape tribulation. We are going to face tribulation, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He's got you in his hand. He's going to walk with you through the storm, and he's going to bring you through to the end of the storm where the rainbow shines. And he works all things together for good. So what you call a storm, you know, like when you get in those storms and you're just kicking and screaming. When I get in a storm, I'm just crying, get me out of the storm. And he's trying to tell me, no, just sit in there a little bit. It's going to be good. And isn't it funny, after the storm's over and you go, oh, I see what you were doing. But during the storm, we're like, ah! <laughs> Joy through your circumstance. That's what this book is all about. What are you going through today? Do you have joy through your circumstances? Do you have joy through your trial? Now, you've got to understand something. Happiness and joy are two different things. Happiness is based on circumstances. I'm happy because today's my birthday. It's not my birthday, but I'm happy, right? I'm happy because I got a raise. That raise is great, but in a few months, it's not enough. You're not happy anymore. I'm happy I got a new car. You're driving around, living large. You got the new car. A few months later, it's just a car. Happiness is temporal. Joy is eternal. Joy unspeakable. What's my joy? My joy is I know who I believe in. And that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. I know I have eternal life. That's my joy. I know that I'm saved. I know that God loves me. Do you know God loves you? That's my joy. So when the bombs are blowing up all around me, I'm like, I'm saved. I'm good. He loves me. <laughs> I'm hanging in there because he's going to see me through. He's going to finish the good work that he started. Is my voice changing? Puberty. <laughs> joy, the word joy and rejoicing appear in this little letter 15 times. And the importance of knowing that Paul believes what he's writing is because he's in prison writing it. And he says, listen, don't be bummed out for me. He's going to say that to us. He's going to say, don't be bummed out for me. This is awesome. You're like, how is prison awesome? Because I'm chained to the centurions. I have a captive audience. They're getting the gospel. They're getting saved. At the end of the letter, he's going to say, hey, all of Caesar's house salutes you. What happens? The Praetorian guards were family to Caesar. They would get saved, chained to Paul for hours every day, go back into the household, share the gospel. Caesar's household is getting saved. He said, this is awesome. I made it to the capital of the entire world empire. It wasn't really going to work out the way he thought it was, but it was going to work out for the good because they would hear the gospel. And there'll come a point where Paul says, I'm ready to offer myself up. I've finished. I've ran the race. I did good. I did what God called me to do. And that's what we're here today to talk about a little bit. Are you doing what God's called you to do? God doesn't want pew potatoes. Listen, I tell people, I encourage people, get involved, get involved. God's calling you. He wants you to get involved. And sometimes I hear people say, well, you know what? I'm so busy and I work hard and I get that. You do. I understand. But listen to this, you're here every week already. Once a Sunday, won't kill you. I don't know where that came from, it wasn't in my notes, I'm just saying. And I'm not beating you up, I'm encouraging you, because somehow the enemy will make us too busy to serve, 
and we don't get the blessing from serving. And so Paul is writing with joy from prison. Now there's three main things that he's going to share in this letter. This letter is an encouragement and a thank you note to the Philippians. The Philippians loved Paul. They supported Paul. They were one of the only churches that gave him offerings. Even when he was on the mission field, they saw the importance of his ministry continuing and they wanted to be part of it. They prayed for him. They loved him and they supported him financially. The second thing is he's going to warn him against false teachers in this little epistle. And the third thing there was a division between two ladies in the church now that was like 2,000 years ago that doesn't happen anymore right but it happened here and so he's going to encourage them saying listen you guys rally around him I know these two ladies I've served with them they served with me they're awesome help them work it out see that's what defines us as Christians when there's trouble we work it out we don't dig out we work it out because that's what we're called. And that's a witness to other people. When we work it out and they see that we work it out, it shows that we're not going to just jump ship. That we care about one another. That when we talked about this in Ephesians, that when two people start arguing and fighting, they're not wrestling against flesh and blood. They're wrestling against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. If you can recognize that, you can stop that argument right away by just grabbing that person's hand and saying, let's pray. Amen? So he wants to encourage them. He wants to warn them of false teachers, and he wants to thank them. And so as we come to the first verse, it says, Paul and Timothy. You guys remember Timothy? We did that whole background thing on Paul last time. We, before we start a letter that Paul writes, I love to go to the book of Acts to lay a foundation. We did that. Acts 16 talks about his time in Philippi. He grabbed Timothy, brought him with, and he also had Silas, and we saw that Luke joined him too. So he's writing this letter. He says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. Does that describe you? Are you a bond servant of Jesus Christ? Or are you just a servant of Jesus Christ? What's a bond servant? A bond servant is a servant or a slave. And let's just make it straight. We're all slaves to something, right? You're, you're either going to be a servant to Jesus or a servant to the world. So, But this doesn't sound good when we say, I'm a slave to Jesus. It sounds kind of harsh. Or I'm a slave to the world. We're all a slave to something. But when we give our life to Jesus, he's the best master. So the bondservant was somebody who had paid their debt serving the master. They, they had a debt they couldn't pay, so they became a slave. And in the Jewish culture, you would serve that master no more than six years. At the end of six years, he would have to set you free. You would have paid your debt or he would have just, you know, sucked it up. So, but what happens is so if he goes, okay, you're free, and you say, listen, you're the greatest guy I've ever worked for. I love you. I feel like family here, and I don't want to go anywhere. I want to stay and be a bondservant. Then what that meant, he would take them to the gate of the city, and they would take an awl, a, a, like a spike thing, a sickle, and they would put his ear to the door, to the gatepost, and they would pierce it, and he would put an uh, earring in there, saying that I am a bond servant by choice. And that's what Paul and Timothy are saying here: we're bond servants. What does that mean? That means whatever the master says, we do. Let that soak in a little bit. Because here's my question for you. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? 
or is he just your savior? Let's stop and think about that for a minute. Thank God he's our savior, amen? But is he your Lord? Every time he tells you by the Holy Spirit what to do, do you do it? I'm guilty too. I have these conversations like, hey, you know, I just want to fill you in, Lord. I don't think that's a good idea. You say, Lord, I want to be used by you more, and then he gives you something you do. Like, well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> we need to make Jesus not only our Savior, but our Lord. Amen? He goes on to say, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. To all the saints... I like that. Did you know you're a saint? Isn't that awesome? As soon as you give your life to Jesus Christ and ask him to save you, you become a saint. Now, I don't know about you. Some of you might have grew up in the Catholic Church. I grew up in the Catholic Church, and, and I never knew what it meant to be born again. And one of the things they had was that they would vote in saints. So, like, if you lived for God all of your life and then you died, they'd have a committee that would get together. Somebody would come out and represent you and say, okay, listen, this is why we should make them a saint because they did all these things. You had to have something miraculous happen during your ministry and, and they would put all these good points out there and then some other guy would come out saying why they shouldn't be a saint and then the whole committee would vote and if they agreed that you were sainthoodship, then they would make you a saint. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. The Bible doesn't mention that's how it works at all. Jesus said, as soon as you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you were a saint. Isn't that awesome? You can just start making out all your business cards. Saint Stephen. Saint who? If your name's Bernard, you got to do it. Right? Here's the thing. You're either born again or you're not. There's no in between. You know, you hear those people say, well, I don't believe in heaven and I don't believe in hell. doesn't change a thing. It's coming. Okay, so you're either a saint or you're an ain't. You're either in Christ Jesus or you're not. There's no middle-of-the-road type thing. And look at this. He says, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. So you, there's two locations in your life. You are in Christ Jesus, but you're also in Kilauea. Or Anahola. Or Hanalei. Or Princeville. Or Wainiha. Hyena. You have two locations. We're in Christ Jesus, but God has put you here for a reason for such a time as this. Isn't that awesome? He talks about the bishops and deacons. Now, this was a church that's obviously growing. They've got pastors and elders and deacons, and they, they, they were in a wealthy area. Philippi was wealthy, and so this was a strong church. And so a lot of, when you hear the word bishop, that, that can be interchangeable, elders and pastors. So it's interchangeable. So obviously there's pastors and elders there. Deacons are servants. If you serve in the church, you're a deacon. Diakonos. That means servant. You're serving. It's a great thing. It's important to get involved with the church. And then he says in verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now some of you are veterans in this church and we just read grace and peace and you're thinking, oh, he's going to do that old rant about grace and peace. You're right. I am. Because it's awesome. And you've got to understand it's always grace and peace. It's never peace and grace. Why? Because you can't experience the peace of God until you've experienced the grace of God. And charis was the Greek greeting in those days, grace. And peace was the Jewish greeting in those days, shalom. 
And so they would say, Karis, Karis, and they would say, Jewish would say, Shalom, Shalom, and it was used for hello, goodbye. So if you're in the Greek uh, country and they'd greet you, they'd say Karis, and then when you're leaving, they would say Karis. And then Israel, they would say Shalom when they met you, and then when you're leaving, they say Shalom. Now, I thought that was pretty cool because I don't really know anywhere else but here that has the same word type thing. We say aloha when you see someone. We say aloha when they leave. And, but it also, aloha means love. Showing aloha. So when we were in Israel, we taught all the officials there about aloha, and they taught us about shalom, so we changed it to shaloha. <laughs> Peace and love. But he tells us grace and peace. When you experience the grace of God and realize that you are not saved by your works, it's a gift from God. He did it all on the cross. He offers you the gift. Take it. Uh, what is it? Romans 5.1 says, Wherefore we are justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We were enemies of God. We were enemies of Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And when we gave our life to Jesus Christ, we now have peace with the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. And we're supposed to have peace of God. Do you have the peace of God today? I think a lot of Christians don't. They have peace with God. Praise the Lord. That's the most important. You want to go to heaven. You don't want to be an enemy of God. But see, a lot of Christians, because we live in such a nutty world, don't have the peace of God because they look around at this world and they're just running around frantic and they're paranoid and they're doubting and they have fear about everything. And God bless you, but God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want you living in fear and insecurities. He doesn't want you living in doubt. That's why he says be confident. Fears and doubts and all those things, I'll tell you what, this might upset somebody, but that's sin. Bring it to the Lord. It's, it's legit. I get it. We all have fears. We all have doubts. We all have insecurities. Bring it to the Lord. Lay it at His feet. I don't want this. This is not what you want for me. And watch Him change your life. Watch Him pour into you in such a mighty way. In verse 3, we come to the beginning of His prayer, and He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always. I love that. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, Paul says. This is, this is the heart of Paul. That, if you look at all of his writings, this guy had a huge prayer list. Didn't he? No wonder he said, I pray without ceasing, because he, he, he had all these people on his prayer list. Everywhere you go, and in all of his letters, he's saying, I've been praying for you without ceasing. I pray for you always. I pray for you in remembrance of what you did. I love this. And he prays for them with this idea of joy and the remembrance of how they made the, him feel when he was with them. And, and you know, th it's not saying that this church never f had failures. It's not saying that people didn't make mistakes, but it's saying that Paul chooses to think good things about them. So here's my question. Are you choosing to think good things about your brothers and sisters? Or are you just looking to find fault? Remember the old saying, when you point a finger, watch out, there's three more pointing back at you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you just point like this. No, I'm kidding. 
But see, division is caused by Satan. It's not of God. And if you're always dwelling on the faults of your brother or sister in Christ, you got your heart wrong. Hello? You need to change the way you think. Paul says, I choose to think good things about these people. He was an encouragement to them. Does that describe you? I love this because I, you know, he says, I thank God for this church. I thank God for this church. You know, I'm in here all during the week and, and it's, you know, I, I like being in here, but when it's empty, it's just not that exciting. You know, I look forward to you guys coming Sunday mornings and, and Wednesdays and, and, you know, seeing both the services on Sundays and just, I, I, I look forward to having fellowship with you. When we all worship corporately together, it's like nothing else. I thank God for our staff here. We've got such a wonderful staff. We have fun together. We actually get along. We goof off. We go surfing. We go swimming, diving. We eat together. We, we you know, joke with each other. It's fellowship. And the fellowship, the koinonia, is so important within the body of Christ. That's why we always encourage small groups. Get to know other people. Rather than just Sunday, hi, how you doing? Praise the Lord, how are you? And then walk away. Have a meal with them. Have a cup of coffee with them. Go surfing, play golf, do something. It'll strengthen the whole body of Christ. Amen? Now, Paul says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. Notice that Paul is very solid in his theology. He's very careful. He doesn't want anybody to be lifted up with pride here. He doesn't say, I thank you for all the memories, but he says, I thank my God for you. Because he realizes that he's being blessed by a bunch of people because they allowed themselves to be submitted unto God and be used by God. And the blessings that came through those people to Paul was because God did it in them. And so when I look at you guys and I see things happening in your life and you're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, I say, I thank God for what he's doing in your life. Verse 3, read it again. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. They were faithful. Paul was thanking God for what he was doing in them from day to day. They got saved and until this time they've been out just living for Jesus. And he says, listen, I, I'm so grateful to see what God's doing in your life from the day you got saved until this point. Can you say that about your friends in Christ? Can you say, I'm so thankful for my brothers and sisters and what he's been doing from the day you got saved until this point. And then the, the verse I've been wanting to get to this whole time is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It's verse 6. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? amen. That's based on his promise. And that's why I say to you, you've got to be confident in that. What's the good work that's going to be completed in you? Christ-likeness. The Bible tells us that when we see him, we're going to be like him. We won't be divine like him, but we will be like him. We'll see him as he is. And he will transform us into that. He created us in his image. I'm born again. I'm saved. But my flesh isn't. 
So the thing is, that's why we have this battle. This is why we war with our flesh. This is why we have the battle of good and evil in our walk all the time. That's why the enemy's always challenging us. It's because this flesh, this stuff, is not the real me. It's corrupt. And so though the real me is saved, though my soul is saved, Steve is saved, my body's not. That's why there's a war constantly. But one day, in the twinkling of an eye, and a shout, and the sound of the trumpet, we're going to be caught up in heaven, and this whole carcass is going to be done away with, and I'm going to get the new improved. Woo. And guess what? I won't be able to sin anymore. You ever think about that? I always thought to myself, man, I'm going to get to heaven. I'll be there two weeks. I'll blow it. He'll kick me out. It ain't going to happen. We need to start have confidence in our faith. We need to stop, start having confidence that he's going to finish the good work that he started in us. We need to chuck all of our doubts and fears. Because it, it's going to creep up. When something really heavy happens to you, have you ever said this? Does God really love me? I'm his son. I'm his daughter. But look what's happening to me. Does, does, does he love me? Is he mad at me? We've all said those things. And we start doubting our salvation. He doesn't want that. Stop doubting. We all have doubts, but doubts lead to fear. And fears lead to insecurities. And God doesn't want that for you. That's why we need to be confident in God's promises. That's why you need to read your Bible. Because the more you read your Bible, you're going to see all through it. Be confident. Be confident. His promises are yes and amen. And all through the Bible, he's going to say, don't buy into fear. Don't buy into doubt. Don't buy into insecurities. Be anxious for nothing. But with all things, prayer and supplication. He's going to say, that stuff is not of me. He's going to say that you're no longer under condemnation. You're in Christ Jesus. And you're beating yourself up and you're condemning yourself. He says, that's not of me. That's of the devil. The Holy Spirit convicts us. Conviction, condemnation, they both don't feel good. But this is how you know which one's of God. The conviction will draw you closer to God. The condemnation will draw you away from God. If you're listening to the enemy, it'll draw you away from God. If you're listening to the Holy Spirit, it'll drive you to your knees and you will ask for forgiveness and repent and be restored. And he'll set you on, his feet, on your feet again. Amen? That's good news. I don't know about you, but that's good news. <laughs> that's his promises. He's going to finish what he started. And you might be here today and you say, well, I feel so unworthy. I feel so unworthy of His forgiveness. I feel so unworthy of His salvation, of His love and His mercy. We need to understand we only have salvation. We only have His grace. We only have His love. And we only have His mercy because of His grace. Nothing that you did. Don't let Satan rob your joy of these truths. Don't let the enemy convince you that salvation is based on your performance. See, that's why the legalists are so upset with Christians. Because we say we're not under the law. You can't confine me to a certain day a week to worship. You can't tell me I have to eat certain foods. You can't tell me I have to do certain things in order to be approved. You can't say that because we're under grace. I didn't earn my salvation. It was a gift. And so what legalists are upset about is that we're, we're living in grace. Now, here's the danger of being under grace is that I don't want to do anything for Jesus. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven, but I really don't want to do. I want to do things for me. 
And when you understand his grace is what saves you and not your performance, we tend to go, eh, I don't want to really do anything for him. That's sad. Because when you start doing things for Jesus, you're going to find yourself more excited about life than ever before. Don't let Satan rob you. If you're saved, you have a transformed life that yields itself to the Holy Spirit. And when you yield yourself to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit nudges you and you do the will of God. And you decide, you've realized that this is awesome. It's actually good. John 10 tells us about the enemy, about Satan. John 10.10 says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Isn't that awesome? So here's a question. Do you have life today? Or do you feel like you don't have life? Are you depressed? Are you beaten down? Are you letting your doubts and your fears and your insecurities rob your joy? If you are, that's sin. Spurgeon said it like this. He says, when, when you buy in, when you're doubting and fearing, you're putting your faith in the devil. You're not putting your faith in God. Philippians 3.9 says, I, I, let me just turn to it. It's a great one. Philippians 3.9, just a couple pages over. Paul says, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Why am I going to heaven? Because of his righteousness. Right? Amen? I can't stand before God in my own righteousness, right? What does Isaiah, Isaiah say about our righteousness? Our own righteousness. It's as filthy rags. So your best efforts in God's eyes compared to his righteousness is like filthy rags. And I won't tell you what that means. But here's what God does to you. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you know what? He doesn't see what you're wearing. He doesn't see your filthy rags anymore. He wraps you in a robe of righteousness. And now when he looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. He wraps you in his righteousness. He submerges you in his righteousness. It's like, it's like you said, I'm giving my life to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And he, it's like he picked you up and just dipped you in righteousness. Double dip me, Lord. And now every time he sees you, he sees Jesus. You know what the Bible says? It says that Satan tries to get us to do stuff that we, should, we shouldn't do. He dangles the bait out in front of you. He goes, come on, come on, come on, just take it. You know you want it. Come on, you like this, you like this. And as soon as you take the bait, he runs to the Father and he rats you out. And everything he's saying, here's the kicker, is true. And he says, look at Steve. Look what he's doing. Do you believe he did that? I can't believe he did that. And then the Father looks at me and he goes, I just see Jesus. Isn't that cool? Thank God. That's how the Father sees me? It says the Father loves me with the same love that He has for Jesus. Hello! How good is that stuff? 
I don't want to stand before God in my own righteousness. I don't want to stand before God in my own worthiness. I don't want to stand before God in in my good works, my sense of doing good or being godly. Should we do good? Should we be godly? Absolutely. But Paul is saying that's our day-to-day practical living as a Christian to be good and to be godly. But it's not to be compared with our standing with God. My works of righteousness are filthy rags compared to being clothed in His righteousness. He did it all. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Does it get any more clearer than that? When your legalist friend is trying to tell you what day you got to worship and how you got to do this and how you got to do that and you got to jump through this hoop and that hoop, you just read him Ephesians 4 8. You just say, it says, no, it's not by that. Romans 4 4 says, now to him who works, listen carefully to this, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but debt. What is he saying? If you worked for it, it's not grace. God owes you. Let me read that again. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him for righteousness. That's confidence. Can it get any clearer than that? I could go on all day with this stuff. You're saved by grace. Let me just say this too, that if you're a Christian, I never want to hear you say or communicate to an unbeliever, I'm not sure if I'm really saved. Well, I hope there's a heaven. I'm pretty sure God keeps His promises. I messed up pretty hard. I'm not sure if He really loves me this week. If you're going to witness, and you're going to witness like that, you don't get it. Because you can know that you know that you know. When you communicate to unbelievers that you're not sure you're a Christian, you're not really sure if I'm saved or not, I've got my doubts, I don't know if God still loves me, you know why you think like that. It's because of this. And you won't like it. You think like that because your works-driven, self-righteous-based relationship is what you have with God. And you're never happy. And you're always bummed. And you're so fragile in your Christian experience because you're thinking all wrong. Somehow you think that your performance dictates your relationship to God. Somehow you think your performance dictates to you you, how much God will love you. When you need to understand that it's the performance of the Holy Spirit that confirms you into the body of Christ, now you belong to God by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that made you a Christian. It's the Holy Spirit that seals you. And Jesus Christ loves you. And He can't love you any more today than He did the day you got saved. So don't doubt His love. 
Did you mess up? Yeah, who didn't? Anybody mess up this week? Don't show me your hands. I don't want to know. But you know what I'm saying? Sometimes people say, gosh, I messed up so bad this week. Am I still going to go to heaven? Yes. It's just that I don't want to go to heaven like that. Because I do appreciate what he's done for me, so I want to do everything I can. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to end up making it to heaven just messing up all the time. I want to get that stuff in order and do the right thing. But I need to understand that my salvation is not about works. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto righteousness. Do you see anything about works there? You should get all these verses down for the legalistic friend. But share them in grace and love. How about this one, Romans 5.5. 5. Now hope. What's hope? <coughs> Hope's a promise of something. Who's the promise keeper? God. He's the only one that's capable of keeping his promise. Do we keep our promises? Sometimes. But you can count on God's promises. He says, now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in, your, in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In other words, God is going to keep his promises. That's what he's saying there. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, you are now... No, you are no longer under condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You need to hear that. Because people will condemn you. The devil will condemn you. But God says, I'm going to love you. And so what? You don't really need to worry about what the devil thinks of you. And you really don't need to worry about what I think about you. You just need to worry about what God thinks. And that's all that matters. Even when everyone's turned against you, is your conscience clear with Christ? If it is, let it go. God will work that stuff out. Amen? Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful, the Word of God? Even if you mess up, right? What do we worry about? He says, stop worrying. You know what, in Matthew 6, he says, don't even worry about your life. Oh, that's easy for you to say. See, he already sees you there. Hello? Listen to me, I'm going to say it again. Don't worry about your life. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. He said, food and clothing, that's nothing to you. It, it is to people in Hollywood but not to you. He says, don't worry about it. And then he goes and he says, do the birds worry? They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather, yet I take care of them. How much more should I take care of you? When was the last time you saw a bunch of birds in your yard over in the corner throwing up with ulcers? 
I'm just so worried. Stop living in fear. Stop waking up and saying, Lord, it's a crazy day. You see what's happening at the Capitol? It seems like socialism and the whole world's going under one world rule and the, the, the vaccinations and non-vaccinations. What's going on? It's terrifying. I can't even get out of bed. I'm so freaked out. Stop it. If you're facing a hard day, then just be honest with God. Lord, it's a new morning. It's going to be crazy. I don't know what's going on. I'm not trusting this world, but I'm trusting in you. I know I can't even make it to the bathroom without you. So here I go. My feet are going on the floor. Let's get started. <laughs> Why? Because Romans 8:28 says all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. It is God that started a good work in you. It will be God that finishes it. Why? Because we're clothed in His righteousness and not our own. And when the Father looks at you, He sees the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You. Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. We're going out into the mission field right now and we need Your support. So be with us. Strengthen us. Let us be confident to let people know why we know that we know that we know. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.